Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. My guest is James R. Bolton, Jr. How do you, uh, well, talk about uh, the, the battle you had in your county. Uh, were there people who came together how did the leaders emerge? How were the 1% identified? How do you go about doing that? Okay, in this particular case, because we didn't have that 1% yet, we had to, um, it's more of a mitigation scheme, but actually it turned out a little more powerful than that. But what we did, um, and this gets into some technical details, but we had a Canadian firm tried to buy a Vista, a utility that provides power for five states. So this was more than just a local issue. They had been working on this. In fact, a Vista wanted to sell it to them. These, the five top CEOs were wanting to all take big payoffs, obviously, for about 6 or $8 million apiece and walk away with this money in their pocket and give a utility to a foreign company. Well, the last time that happened in our area, it didn't work out very well. So. They had been working on this for over a year before anyone even heard about it, which brings up legal issues at, at, at that point because it's a public utility. There has to be public notice on these things. Well, it was almost a year before anyone even knew what was going on. The first thing we did, of course, was approach our legislators and our elected officials and ask them to intervene, which they are required to according to Article 12 of our state constitution. They are required to intervene in these cases. Well, every single one without fail, Dr. Dan, refused to intervene. Mm-hmm. Well, I did an investigation. Being an investigator, <laughs> I did the obvious thing, and and, I, and I've created a list of all of our le- legislators and elected servants who were all taking money for their campaigns from the, from the utilities companies. How, surpri- how surprising tax. is that, right? It's not surprising at all. And we expected it. But it's just, it was really daunting for the average person out here who's not as politically aware and skilled as you or I might be or others. And it was a real blow to see, oh, I voted for these people. I've trusted these people. And something really big comes up and they don't want to step in and do their job. Well, so what we did is we formed, this is one of the first steps you take when you're dealing with this this type of issue. You form a private nonprofit. You get a few people together, form a non- private nonprofit, get a bank account, collect some 
Uh, you have to, you, tr- you have to collect some money to fight this battle. Will you find the right attorney, which we did. We have a great anti-environmentalist attorney out here, and um, his name's Norm Semenko. He's based in Idaho. Just a great guy. I mean, every liberty-based movement anywhere needs to have an attorney like this on, on their side. He knew exactly how to handle this, and by the fact that we set up a, a nonprofit. A, a private nonprofit group that gave us legal standing to stand in the intervener sessions before the public utilities commissions, and they did not expect they were absolutely not expecting us to do that. Um, this uh, we were called. I was called by Steve, Spokane County Treasurer to come to a meeting that instigated all of this, and I, and I sat there for a little while and I listened to them. And, of course, this is another form of insurgency. This is corporate insurgency, and they were actually committing corporate espionage in the process. It's interesting how no one's arrested for these things nowadays. Back in the 50s and 60s, they arrested people for these kind of things. Now it's just politics. It's it's common corporate politics today. And the American public, of course, are the ones that get burned in these things. So... I listened to them and realized they didn't have a plan. They didn't have a clue how they were going to fight this. So it was our office that introduced the plan. And one thing led to another. We've got the attorney, and we set it all up, and we actually got to the intervener session in Idaho. We couldn't stop it here in Washington, but if one state turns it down, then it stops the whole thing. So Idaho was the most cooperative. Um, We got cooperation from some of the legislators and other people over there, and we have stopped it at least probably for over a year at least so that's kind of a very quick uh, summary of it well but obviously this takes participation and yes and and i mean that's really critically important uh you can get together with with six people who are passionate about something um you can and base it for instance let's say a group who believes in the constitution and is passionate about the constitution and the bill of rights and all that stuff. And, uh, they want to promote that because they know that the other side is, is trying to eliminate that. So, but it takes people who are committed and who have the time, energy, and I guess sometimes the money to go out and take the actions necessary uh, to fight. Isn't that really what this is about? In most cases, it is. But as the, as you build a movement and the movement grows, it, it's actually a lot less work on everyone if there are more, obviously, if there are more participants. And as you gain support from the local population, as we did in counterinsurgencies in other countries, you 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 know when you're gaining more support as the opposition begins to die a little bit because they always try to make resurgence, um, and that's what you have the military for. In this case, we don't have that necessarily have that option. Um, but I will tell you this: as you build a movement and you start to become successful, if you're using these skills that we we can help people with. Um, you are going to be challenged physically at some point. We've already run into that a couple of times. Uh, I have personally had physical conflict with uh, a few people along the way because we were actually getting becoming successful in what we were doing. Um, 
that is the nature of the beast. And so many people run from these things when they hear that. But, you know, what is our way of life worth to us? What about our children, our grandchildren? What's it worth to us? Are we willing to stand in, in that position regardless? So it would probably be important, very important for people to know what it takes to build a movement, why movements fail really helps you understand what makes them successful. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. We'll be right back after this quick break. Well, you bring up uh, a really incredible point, and and I'm going to tell you what our experience is here because I think this is what the discussion between you and I needs to kind of center on. And I am talking with James R. Bolton, Jr., a political resolutionist and legal investigator um, and with incredible experience in uh, counterinsurgency, and he understands counterinsurgency movements. You know, in our area here, we live in uh, the rural uh, mountains of uh, North Georgia, western North Carolina, and eastern Tennessee. Uh, We are, by nature, conservative, um, Christian, and uh, a lot of retired military here, and the values of true America, the way America has been uh, all along, is very important to the the vast majority of the people who live here. Back in 2009 and 2010, uh, that's when the Tea Party movement uh, really uh, started, and uh, my wife and I and one of our two children, our daughter, were in Atlanta, Georgia at the Capitol on tax day, April 15th, 2009, uh, for an, a rally there. And we went down there expecting to be there with, you know, two or 300 people. Uh, and we were just amazed and heartened and invigorated by the fact that we were there with 20,000 people uh, protesting. And we came back to our home here in in Western North Carolina, and with several other people, we started a a Tea Party group here. And it grew exponentially. It was amazing, the growth. Uh, And when it came to the 2010 and and 2012 elections, we were very, very active. We we started out with, say, 12 to maybe 14 people. The next meeting, there was like 80 uh, the meeting after that, there was uh, over 100. And the meeting after that, there was over 400. And we had enormous uh, success that way. But you know what happened? Gradually after that, things just dwindled down to where there was half a dozen people still plugging yeah. away. And eventually they got tired because they were the only ones doing anything. Um so is that the natural history of a political movement? And if so, that's really kind of counterproductive. What do you do to prevent that from happening? I think what we need to understand, you just described the Tea Party, and we had the same experience with the Tea Party here in Spokane, where I know there was one one meeting down there where there were probably around 15,000 people in, in an arena down there. And... And within three years, three to four years, it was down to like 50 people. In fact, once when that, when it got down to between 25 and 50 people, one of my friends who is uh, basically part of our, our work 
was acquainted with the leaders of that movement down there, and he wanted them to sit down and talk with me. So I, they called me down there. We met them for dinner, and I listened to them, and it was right off the top. It was just obvious. And, and, and of course, I can be very critical because of my background in counterinsurgency and things like that and studying movements. We were required to. But the bottom line is, Dr. Dan, they didn't ha- they didn't have the first understanding of, number one, of the conditions they were facing, and two, they didn't have any understanding of even how to build a a proper movement, a strong movement. So, you know, it's so important for people to understand. Obviously, we don't have time today to go through an entire lesson on this, but movements basically go through four stages. They go through emergence, coalescence, solemnization, and decline. And decline can happen at any time. And decline can also be successful because uh, the condition has normalized. And, and hopefully you won and the condition is normalized. So the emergence is simply a point where an idea has risen and people of like mind are kind of grouping together. Well, that's what happened when the Tea Party exploded. That's what happened when the 2005 movement kicked off in Montana, the big patriot movement that swept across the Northwest. Thousands of people were getting together. This was an emergence, but it had no form. It had no strategy. It had no um, cooperative leadership. Just having leadership is not good enough. You have to have cooperative leadership. We're talking about a nation here, not not about one one little island on the earth somewhere. So you have to have some cooperation. None of that existed at that point. And then if you can, if you get through that and begin to form, then you see a period of coalescence where leadership has basically emerged and they're beginning to outreach and the movement's beginning to grow and, and sink into the society just a little bit. But at that point, it's still, it's still on dangerous ground. It can still be blown apart. It can still fade. It can still go into decline. And if your adversaries, and this is exactly, this is partially what happened, the people who are the, we would consider the political insurgents in this country, they were watching all of this very intently. And in fact, in Washington State and in Montana, there were arrests made of, political arrests made of different leaders. We had one leader in Thurston County arrested. He was on trumped-up charges and things like that. It happens. But they were attempting to blow the movement apart. But that's ex- but what happened to the Tea Party is what happened to the whole movement. There, there was no center of gravity in the movement. And center of gravity is simply capacity. There, there was no real capacity in the movement. So it never reached solemnization. The Tea Party never reached it, and, and the movements here never reached it. Solemnization is basically... Uh, you can see a measurable unity among the groups who have basically joined forces um, in an identified strategy and, and identified goals, and now they're actually intently working together in a cooperative fashion, in a kind of a syndicated fashion to accomplish the same thing. And that's what's got to happen. But that's not going to happen until it's established, until a beachhead is established somewhere in the United States. We could we could certainly talk about why movements fail Um because people fail to understand the conditions. It's a lack of realism. Uh, it's a dependence on 
paradigms that have no real effect on the opposition. See, we're still, by and large, Dr. Dan, we're still holding on to the party paradigms, the old system that has basically failed us. The old system has no skills. It has no ability to combat this insurgency. The insurgency works around elections and and other things like that and, and legal matters and those areas. So you can't you, you, we need to vote, certainly, but we certainly can't um, vote and sue our way out of this condition because if this condition is at the social and political level. We have to gain control of the street narrative again, and, we, and we've lost that. We've lost control of the narrative. Um, there's also, number two, why movements fail, the lack of operational skills. We, we know that. You and I have talked about that. But the, the people don't have the skills to fight in that arena. And so that, that's got to be dealt with. And then number three, based on personality bias, these movements in the past were dependent on affluent and popular individuals. Um, you can't base a movement on popular people. I mean, they're great for influencing other people. That's good. You need that's called an influencer movement. That's what these movements were. They were influencer movements. They don't last. They they never do. They always they always collapse after a while. We need. Uh, something deeper than that. You can't rely on influencers. You've got to have a real strategy and a real cooperation across all lines to make it work. And then lastly, it's one that I've talked intently about with groups that I've been invited to speak with, and that is internal security and policing. And people hear that and they're like, are you serious in, in a movement like this? We are fighting against professionals here who are destroying our way of life. These, they have a counterintelligence apparatus. They have a standard intelligence apparatus. They have a strategy. They have goals. They know what they're doing. They're trained. It's actually there's actually classes you can take in college for social movement community organizing. Now they train people to do this. There are over 420 socialist communist organizations operating in the United States today. Is that not an insurgency? If if, if it isn't, I don't know what an insurgency is. Why are these people allowed to operate? But we need to be more worried, not worried about them. The enemy is never the problem. This is where this is where this I get people's attention most of the time. The enemy, the enemy is never the problem. We are the problem. We're always the problem. We have everything at our fingertips to defeat this enemy. We just don't use it, and we don't cooperate with one another like we should. And and that's why I say internal security and policing, one of the things that the conservative circles have always done and the Tea Party's always done, all of their plans and their uh, their their strategies are, are blasted out over the Internet, blasted out in public meetings, and we give away our strategy. We give away our plan. Our opposition knows what we're going to do before we do it. That's the security aspect of it. You can't do that. Then the policing part is we have problems within our own within our own uh, embodiment of people. This is what counterintelligence is all about. It's about force protection, protecting your force. So on these security issues and policing, it's so important that we focus on our own um, issues with internally, because if we can't unify our own actions, if we can't police our own people, we're certainly not going to defeat a well-organized and professional adversary. So, and, you know, 
people also usually when I complete a a series on this, people say, "Well, you didn't talk about funding and participation about funding, especially." And well, I always tell people if you get the, these first three or four things right, you won't need to worry about funding and participation because once you front yourself as a as, as very organized and professional, the funds are going to come. Um, I collected for my just for this office here, and and the little work that we've done here in this county. I collected over fifty seven thousand dollars in eighteen months in, in funds. Um, and when you consider the rural area we're in, that's pretty unprecedented. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Joy in everything. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning.